0: Hey everybody, this is Eddie Darius. We're here for uh, another episode. This is our 43. Yeah, we are 43 episodes so far. We have a great guest. Um, her name is Princess Fr- Francois. Fr- Princess Francois, she's gonna tell more about herself and she she's amazing. I promise you, she's amazing. We're gonna make sure we 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 learn everything we can for an hour but um we'll definitely have a great time so let's give pop to our, our sponsor we have Das Property for management so they sponsored this episode and they will manage your property with a variety of services call them now 617-237-0106 or go online www.daciusfm.com.
1: Do you want to maximize the value of your commercial property and achieve optimal productivity and efficiency in your day-to-day business operations? That's where Dacius Facilities Management can help. DFM offers Boston-area businesses help in key areas like building and preventive maintenance, handyman services, project and vendor management, and even security consulting at competitive rates. Call Dacius Facilities Management now at 617 237 0106 or visit DaciusFM.com today. Yes, the Dacius
0: FM is the solution for your, all your properties. Call them now 617 237 0106. We have Princess with us today. Princess, how are you?
2: hello i'm doing good how are you
0: i'm great i'm great um thank you for being here with us um this is divine purpose podcast Uh, let's start the show now
1: welcome to the divine purpose podcast where we transport you along one of the more dynamic journeys of life have you ever been curious to know what it takes to become a successful leader or about knowing the secrets of life through the bible how about engaging in conversation where no topics are off limits we will take you to new levels with guests who can help you grasp the importance of your calling. Now,
0: here's your host, Eddie Dacius, founder of Dacius Facilities Management. Yes, last like I promised, we have Princess Francois with us, also known as, a fr- as Franny the Traveler. And... She's a national award winning educational leader, equity adv- advocate, and travel blogger and content creator. She was born in New York, uh, especially in Brooklyn. And Princess is extremely proud of her Caribbean roots. As a first generation Haitian American. Yeah. <laughs> <definitely>. Yes. <laughs> hey princess, um, tell us more about you. What can you tell us about you today?
2: Yes. Yeah, so as you mentioned, so I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I grew up with a Haitian mother. So that is proud through and through. Yeah. Um, because of that, I think she instilled the power of education on me. Like I watched her go to classes and attend college as I was a student um, mm. in middle school, in elementary school. And so I think that's where my love for education and the passion to learn came from. So in college, you know, I made it to Columbia University. I was a pre-med student while I was at Columbia. And so after Columbia, I actually became a teacher through a program called Teach for America. And so that led me to teach high school chemistry for five years And then after that, I became an assistant principal of a charter high school in Brooklyn for six years. And I've literally just pivoted careers at the end of May. So now I am a nonprofit executive director of an organization that helps first generation, low income college students persist through college and increase their economic mobility.
0: Wow. Wow. That's a lot princess (laughs) and congratulations for all your success. So let's, let's, let's talk about, but tell us, take us to that journey what was the household dynamic
2: so I was born in Brooklyn New York Um, I grew up literally it was just my mother and I so I am the only child to my mother Um, and my mom single handedly raised me we came from very humble beginnings we I do have a massive extended family like I have 30 plus first cousins um, wow. because I, <laughs> and I process this because when I got married last year we took a group family photo and there were nearly 50 <laughs> people
3: in this family oh,
2: photo
0: man. Wow. <laughs> that's funny I know I know our Asian they, we, we are, that's a big family I know big family same for uh, my wife uh, she has a big family too so let's going up with you and a mom and you you just mentioned you saw like uh value education yes. the, um, the question for me is can what are the three most challenging event in your life and or do they challenge you
2: yes Um, So I would say, so one big challenge, one of the biggest challenges I had in my life was when I was in college, you know, I was a pre-med student at Columbia. Um, So being in an institution that was a predominantly white institution. So when Mm. we think of Columbia, we often think in New York City, it's pretty diverse. However, I would say that people were in their pockets. There weren't necessarily necessarily as much of the fully mixed and mingling um, and while i was in college i was also working part time yeah. as well 10 to 12 hours a week i was also volunteering in a hospital because like i said i wanted to be pre med so i was trying to do all the things i was a leader of an mm. organization so trying to balance all that while maintaining the grades being at an ivy league was a lot to juggle for sure and also at times feeling you know that imposter syndrome of do i belong in this space like yeah. did you, um so there were times where i questioned in terms of okay like do i deserve to be here especially when you know you see where other people came from in terms of their background. So that was one moment I would say has been a big challenge that I was able to successfully go through. Um, I think a second moment was actually right after college. So teach for America and my first two years of teaching, I would argue with some of the hardest years in my career, like in general, Many people would describe Teach for America as being the equivalent of being in a military boot camp. And why that's the case is because the schools you're teaching at are very underserved. They're not putting you in a school where there's all these resources to support you. Um, And so, as a result, you're serving so many different roles to the students you have. So, the fortunate part, I was serving literally in the community that I came from. Um, So, I saw myself in many of the students. but it was just hard of, OK, I have to go make photocopies, you know, outside because like our copier isn't working or I'm working endless hours to plan lessons and grade papers. But I'm also going to grad school for my master's degree so I can continue um, teaching, And so, and then even just the yeah. system, like New York City as an education system wow. has so much <laughs>
1: bureaucracy you're <laughs> that right, you're, you're up right.
2: against. Um, so that, I think, was a very pivotal time in my life, but yeah. it also led me to decide to shift from pursuing being a doctor to now staying in education and having that impact.
0: Um, thank you, Princess, for uh, well elaborated, elaborated your, your path, but I would challenge you with this question. You studied with, you went pre-med school, right? And you change it. So mm-hmm. the reason I ask is because I know Haitian family. Oh, yeah. The, 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 the best jobs are to be a lawyer, a doctor. You we, we you name it. But what, what happened for you to, to kind of change it and what was the support level to allow you yeah. to change it?
2: So I think. Um, it took a while to come to this episode. so my first honestly I wanted to quit teaching after few months like January my first year teaching I was ready to get out of this like I did I was ready um, to quit but um, there came a moment where so it's like after my second year teaching that summer was the time where it's like okay I need to start studying for the MCAT like if med school is going to be a thing I had a free um, MCAT class and so I honestly had the tools to you know make it happen but what What I noticed is I was no longer interested. When I was sitting in Starbucks trying to do these MCAT questions, I no longer felt interested in studying for the Mm. MCAT. And so where I had to do some deep reflection was, why is that? And so I began to realize I was more interested in helping other Other, people pursue med school and become a doctor versus pursuing it myself. Like being in the hospital no longer interested me. So I took a leap of faith. What ended up happening, my principal saw something in me. She pushed me to apply to a leadership program for a second master's. I said, I'm going to apply to this one program. If I get in, that is my journey.
3: That mm. That is
2: like God telling me that this is the path you're going to go. Yeah. If I don't get in, then that means you need to buckle down and figure out this med school MCAT situation. So I got into the program and I've never looked back.
0: Mm. So let's let's go back to your favorite child memory. Favorite child memory and having a big family. I'm guessing you're going to have a lot, so can you share a few with us today?
2: Yeah. So one childhood memory I remember is we used to gather at my aunt's house a lot and also one of my uncles too for parties. So there was a big barbecue where all the cousins came out. You have aunts, you have uncles and, you know, you got the compa music playing, got the grill going. And this also is a hilarious moment because I, this is where I realized Haitian people run on some really late time. Like, we were supposed to be there <laughs> five p.m. I yeah. arrived with my mother It's eight p.m. I knew the grill didn't even start yet. Wow! So, I was like, "Oh, this is how we party here in <laughs> Asian <And laughs> family's Like, we're just gonna be wow, really wow, late.
0: wow, no, no. You're right, you're right. Because that's that's something that's not a good sign, to, uh, like a plus for us. But we we don't we don't cover the time well. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like um, I have a friend who already said, if I, we go to a party, he says, this is not Haitian time. It should be American time. So make sure you get you yes. get your own time. Yeah.
2: And With that, I remember another big moment where one of my cousins um, got married. I think I must have been in middle school at this point. So they gave t- us um, and it was in a, a beautiful event. It was in New Jersey. Like I said, moments like weddings is where you get the whole family together. Yeah. But I also remember a moment where we all arrived, and then our cousins announced, "Of like, oh, you are all on time." Meaning, like they gave a time two hours earlier than what the wedding was supposed to start, (laughs) knowing people were
3: gonna arrive
0: late. No, no, you're right, you're right, and that's something we can get better at. And I think as as uh, people, we we have some bad moment, but yeah, definitely that's something. I view it it as funny
2: moments. I just yeah. Yeah. it as like i think we just it's it's like island time like it's a more yeah. leisurely place we're not like in a rush but it brings to good comedy when i look back at these moments
0: <laughs> yes and i agree with you too because um me growing up the same thing we we're not washing like the, the here so now let's talk about the American culture and the Haitian culture. Right. The reason I ask this question is to relate to the time. Like people say time is money, but in Haiti, we don't talk like that, you know? Right. So how did you adjust to, to that mindset?
2: I mean, I think... There are just moments where when you're in school and in work where you're just called out for being late. Like I remember, for example, when I first started my position, Um, As an assistant principal I was living far away From that school And so there would be moments Where you know I would be showing up late Into a meeting Which is not a good look right Because you're supposed to be One of the school leaders And so having your manager Have that tough conversation Of no like being early Is essentially being on time And being on time Is essentially being late And you need to figure it out If that means leaving 30 minutes earlier, an hour earlier that you have to make it work. And so um, realizing in American culture, you know, people pay very close attention to when people arrive into big spaces, into small spaces and having that awareness, I think has been something that I've that has been ingrained into me over time. And it, it I feel like sometimes I'm code switching through it, right? Because if it is a family event or when I'm with my mother, my mother still has, you know, the tendencies of like, of course, I mean, she's born in Haiti in terms of time is not as much a concept of like what it means to be on time <laughs> yeah. versus in my professional Profession, yeah. life. Time is everything, but yeah. to my personal life with friends i also notice such a big difference of how my friends operate like some of them are the stickler of time yes. and there's other friends where you know they're going to show up an hour late so when i plan a personal event i'm like i tell people at least 30 minutes earlier the time is anticipating yeah. that
0: yeah no no i think that's that's makes sense um let, let's go to this question <laughs> What what is the best compliment you ever gotten?
2: Ooh, I've never been asked this question before. Um I think the best compliment I've ever received this is really hard. Um, So I can remember a moment actually of this. So in my organization, we do something called PPV, public and private victory. So I host workshops in front of 300 plus people every month. And there was a college student, black and female, also interested in the sciences. She got up and said, You know, I want to give a PPV to Princess because she's the perfect example of what it means to be a black woman Mm. who's always pursuing her dreams. And she showed me that it doesn't stop after you finish college, that as life continues, you're always going to have goals where you're going to push after. And she showed me what is possible for me as a black woman.
0: Wow. Now, that's that's it. That's a nice, a very nice compliment. Um, let's go to this question. Uh, I feel like people is, is exactly when like um, writers, people who have books, they go to a process of the blocking out everything mm. to focus on, on their craft. Oh, and I did that. that. I, so yeah, tell us, tell, um, take us to that process.
2: That's a great question because this is so relevant and timely. So um, I just came out with a book that was released this past month. However, prior to that, I spent six months completely off social media. So I'm very big on Instagram and blogging because I showcase travel content to people. Yeah. You know, what does it look like to travel the world? And so I usually am one who's posting every day. And back in February, I had announced to everyone I'm going on a social media break and um, Taking a hiatus. I originally just intended it to be for around Lent because this is the second time where for Lent I give up social media. But as I was working towards completing the book, I could not bring myself to get back on social media. And so I literally went into hibernation for six months. Like the only people mm. who I was interacting with were either close friends or my husband or my mother. Yeah. So, like, if you you know me in real life, text me. Or I would go on walks and I would have phone calls with people, yeah. which people don't do phone calls anymore. Yeah, I, yeah. It's a lost art. But yeah. in terms of, I was literally like, I not a single post on Instagram, on Facebook. I deleted all those apps off my phone. The only thing I would be doing is watching YouTube videos, but I wouldn't really comment. And I used the LinkedIn because it was more for my professional, professional job yeah. versus as a platform for social media. So when I came back on social media, it was six full months of not being on it. And what I noticed is like I had so many DMs. People were like, where are you? Is everything okay? Because people felt like I... I fell off the face of the earth. But then when I came in and saying like, okay, I pivoted jobs. I'm now in a doctorate program. I published a book. People now began to understand why I disappeared off the face of the earth for six months.
0: No, and I think you have to take take this break because mental and, and allow you to focus more. Let's go to your high school and go the process of you choosing a college i don't know if you applied to many colleges or if it was one what was the process to choose columbia university
2: yeah and it's interesting because i have not thought about this in a really long time so i went to an all girls catholic high school in brooklyn new york um so when it came to the application process for college. We had, you know, one counselor where you would go to who would help with that. For me, I was looking at mostly colleges in New York and then also a little bit of New Jersey and Connecticut. I applied to a lot of colleges, actually. Um, And Columbia was the only Ivy League I had applied to. I also, at that time, applied to some programs that had a combination of college and med school together. And they were very selective. And I actually got into those. Like I got into one where they only took 17 people. And it was an eight-year college med school program and one college that was a seven-year program of college and medicine. Um, But why I ended up selecting... Columbia is where I realized I wanted more of the traditional college life of having the opportunities Mm. to be able to live on campus because in those programs, I was going to have to commute, you know, an hour plus, you know, each way to get to them because of where they're located. And so I realized I don't, I couldn't see myself doing that for another seven to eight years. I'm like, this is the only opportunity where I can have, You know, what, you know, the full college experience, being on campus, being on the dorms, you know, the parties and all of that. And many of my friends were part of that commuter world. And I realized we had very different experiences in college. And it was such a big deal to get into Columbia, too, because being in an all girls, small high school, there was the fact that no one had gotten into an Ivy League in 10 years from my mm, high school
3: wow. then
2: also being a black woman in a school that's predominantly white i think yeah. many people doubted me too and th- there was a person so i graduated valedictorian there was a person in my mm. school where behind she got waitlisted. so behind my back she was also making comments of like she only got in because black poor and affirmative action Um, so I feel like coming to Columbia was also very symbolic to prove of like I did this for myself I deserve to be in this space I'm going to go to this school
0: nah that's 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 well too um, very uh, I'm happy to hear that and as Haitian too that's like um, we Haitian we we work hard and we promote great and, and we try to be successful in everything we exactly. do. Um So let, let's switch to I heard something college parties, you know. So <laughs> let, let's talk about some experience, you know. So how was it for you? Your college experience?
2: Yeah, so how, it's so funny because even though Columbia is in New York City it felt like a completely different world than growing wow. up in Brooklyn in Little Haiti in the Little Caribbean um, because of it was located in Upper Manhattan when you enter the campus it feels like you're not in New York City it feels like I don't know you're in Connecticut or I don't know the middle of nowhere, nowhere yeah. Um, but then it's also a different population of people like I was meeting people from literally all over the world there. Um, and so that was the cool part. But what I noticed, so the the good parts was I'm meeting all these new people. I also found people who had similar backgrounds to me because I did an academic success program. Okay. And so it was like a group where you also had other students of color at Columbia. We were together for six weeks for a summer. So I think my adjustment to Columbia was a lot smoother than what it may have been for other people. Cause what I noticed is people who didn't have that um, struggled more, especially if they were um, a person of color. Because it's just a very different dynamic of people. Like what they like to do for fun wasn't always what I liked yeah,
3: for fun. Yeah.
2: But this group of people is like, oh, we love the Caribbean party <laughs> vibes, right? Yeah. And so it was fun in that we had the Caribbean student association on campus and they put a party once a semester and it was soca music you know reggae
3: dance yeah. all like
2: all the tunes um, and so that was like the really fun part the parts that aren't as glamorous as you know There's a lot of all nighters being pulled like there were many times I left the library six in the morning, you know, because of wanting to do my best. And I really was committed. Um, And then also certain classes, you know, especially the science classes. I wasn't seeing as many folks of color in those classes. Mm. And so that made it harder as a pre-med too which is why I became president of a minority pre-med society to help us become doctors, because I realized that we we're not as represented in this organic chemistry class or in this biochemistry class. Like we're going to be one of a few or, you know, some classes you may be the only black person and they're looking to you, you know, when the Haitian constitution comes up in the curriculum of like, Oh, yeah. I'm
0: supposed
2: to be the spokesperson
0: for all the <laughs> black people, and that's why. But no, no, that's 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 good to hear, and thank you for sharing. One thing I will ask is: Do you feel like as Haitian, we are uh, involuntary forced to carry our, our uh, heritage, where people I... assume? It's like, oh, you Haitian, you should know this, you should do this.
2: I don't have as much of that experience. What I more experience is that as Haitians, we have so much pride in our culture. I think we know our contributions to, you know, world history yeah. and, you know, the Haitian revolution and all of that. But I think what we do as a Haitian people is like, sometimes we put unnecessary pressure on ourselves. I think as a people we're very committed and we represent excellence, but sometimes it comes at the expense of our own, you know, work life balance and mental health and all of that.
0: Yeah. And I would agree with you. Um, let's talk about which of your accomplishment you would apply this. <laughs>
2: us um so i think my biggest accomplishment to date um has been as an assistant principal because that was the time where I received um, so I I think the impact I had the most was as a teacher but the proudest moment I had in my career though was um, I unexpectedly received a national award that's only given to 40 educators a year they showed up at my school they made it seem like we were having a school assembly and then to find out that they were giving this award and check to one person in the room. And I'm thinking it's going to one of the teachers and they unfolded the check and it was my name like
0: wow and, right, that
2: <laughs> is what and it's like I've never been surprised or I feel like recognized for my impact in a way that it happened that day and as a result you know they had ABC C B like they had all these news channels there ready to record this moment and interview me and I think it's opened doors for me because even pivoting to this role as an executive director yeah. which I love them seeing that award on my resume was like immediately of like okay we want to interview her
0: mm, so always um, this like life changing because I know especially us um, people like you you didn't expect something but you have to kind of strive to it and then get adjusted do your best and uh, as we we can I can speculate you're probably going to do your homework work. <laughs> and to make sure you do you you be your best. How was it for you that experience?
2: Yeah, I think um th- like you mentioned like life changing and then there's like a pivot that has to happen. So even you know well first when i think of like getting the award itself there was a life change in terms of people started recognizing me on the street of like oh you were that person on the tv channel that i saw and then you go into your head of like okay like do i deserve this award like again sometimes that imposter syndrome creeps in um and then when i think of now pivoting careers it's so different being in a school setting versus being in a nonprofit. And so I'm, this is like six months into the role in terms of like, you know, taking workshops and learning from all the staff members, because as you said, you want to put your best foot forward and make sure you're fully prepared for this role.
0: Um, You, you tap to something that people are dealing with a lot now, which is the imposter syndrome. When did you realize You made it. Mm.
2: That's a great question. I think the first moment I realized, well, one, I think getting into Columbia was a huge moment. I mean, if you know the stats of like, it's less than, you know, it's like six, seven percent of people who get in. I think that was the first moment I realized of, okay, my hard work and my intelligence is not just confined to this school like this law. Our institution recognizes that i think um where i feel like i ultimately made it also was when i became an assistant principal to make that jump from being a teacher to an assistant principal you know having i had to get two master's degrees in order to do that but to have someone um you know, a school recognized of she can be a school leader, especially I was young when I did that. So when you think of your average principal or assistant principal, a lot of times they're in their late 30s, in their 40s. I became an assistant principal when I was like 25, 26. That is very young. So so to then think I've had this tremendous impact on education and think about it of like, okay, but I'm still, you know, in my early thirties. And this is the impact that I've already had. Like there's only so much more room for the next, you know, 15, 20 years.
0: (laughs) No, that's, that's good. And so what was your, do you, what was your support? I know this question is related to we Haitian as like a community, but we sometimes, don't like to see people striving or people get to their peak um, in terms of su- uh, success. Can you talk about your support level, how your family, your husband, people around you, your circle supported you too in this time? Oh.
2: Yeah, so I think I'm very intentional of who I keep around me in my circle. So my mom has always been my biggest cheerleader and support and literally has sacrificed so much in order for me um, to get here. I think over time I came to learn of who my friends are and who are not. Because to your point, um, I guess I didn't necessarily find that among um family members or the Haitian community. But what I found out is that sometimes some friends are like, you think they're rooting for you, but behind the scenes, they're like talking a whole bunch of crap. But I think it comes out of insecurity. So I've definitely have had some friendships where it lasted, you know, from elementary school to college but you know, after graduating college, there definitely was a drop off of certain people in my life. Um, but now I have an amazing group of friends um, who been who are my bridesmaids in my wedding. And I think what I realized is when you're looking at friends, you need to get people who also want to be at the same level as you. Yeah. So when I look at the groups who I have, I have one friend who's a founding principal of a school. I have another friend who is a lawyer who graduated who was at columbia went to nyu law i have another friend she's also haitian american too she recently graduated as a doctor she was in that very pre-med society i was with and we also went to columbia so you have to have people who also are equally as ambitious so they're cheering for you versus hating on you and then my husband has been like I, I I don't even know like he he is so supportive like he edits my papers for grad <laughs> school and, wow. and you know it's also helpful to have a husband who's also in the field of education mm. so he also understands you know the struggle, struggle and the drama yeah. and he's also first generation you know American too so he comes from you know Dominican descent and so okay. I think we have also a lot of like similarities too that help us really like we're a support system for each other.
0: Wow. Thank you, Princess. Um, so really appreciate it. So let's go to our break now. So we have Eddie Dacier with Divine Purpose Podcast with our special guest, Princess
1: Francois. We appreciate it. We'll be back. What comes before making a smart decision? Choices. A smart choice is the best option, which is who we are. That's why our clients expect more from us and, in return, get more in everything we do. We understand the problem. That's why we thrive for excellence. We don't just create a winning culture. We aspire to be a smart choice, a voice for solutions. We believe in integrity, professionalism, and teamwork. Our passion is to bring results from our clients by working harder, smarter, and faster. As a team, we always deliver because we recognize your needs. Choosing smart influences us to be the best version of ourselves. That makes us different than other companies. It makes us confident in achieving our goals. It makes us who we are. And it makes us DFM, the smart choice.
0: All right, we're back with uh, Princess. So, this question will, so we're gonna get to Hot Topic. Hopefully, you had um, you received a question. So, Hot Topic is a great segment. But before we do, what do people misunderstand mm, about you most?
2: Oh, this is, and it's funny because I actually had a, this discussion with a friend recently. I think sometimes, my passion in terms of how I speak gets misunderstood in terms of me being argumentative. Um, Sometimes I think, so I bring Leo energy, you know, Leo's like, we can be loud and proud as Haitians, we're loud and proud. And so I think sometimes it gets assumed that you're trying to start an argument versus no, I'm just really passionate about making this point. I'm not trying to (laughs) argue with you, but I'm just very Mm -hmm. adamant Um, about this point.
0: No, that's that's the thing, and I think you you I will I can relate to that because sometimes we we just take a position, but that doesn't mean we want to fight. Or we just very passionate, and we want to make sure we make our point, right? So, right. <laughs> so what one? Um, okay, what do you wish you knew when you first started your career? Like one thing you uh, say, oh, if I knew this, I'll, I'll, I'll be better now. But is there anything you wish you knew before you started this journey?
2: I think the biggest thing doesn't directly relate in the professional sense. I think what it is, is you need to make time for yourself. I think you can get so caught up in terms of like you wanting to put in the extra hours and the hard work. But honestly, that comes at the expense of our health and so needing like how important that health is wealth and that you're not going to be able to push forward if you're not in the best health and not sacrificing health for the sake of your career i wish i internalized that more um, at the beginning part of my career
0: so um, let's go to this question. What piece of advice you will give somebody who's starting the career now?
2: I think one piece of advice I would give is. You need to network and network doesn't mean just going to a conference or going to events. Are you actually talking with people who work in your organization, who work in your school? So I have, for example, my team is made up of many young people where this is their first job. And so I'm constantly pushing them in terms of are you having informational interviews with you know, the CEO of our organization as well as, you know, the person who does marketing as well Mm. as, you know, the person who's handling grants because at this point you also have to be open-minded do i am the advocate of that what you think you're going to do with your life is probably where you're not going to end up with and so in order for you to actually discover what you're passionate about what you need to pursue you need to be talking to different people to figure out okay what what aspect of their job do I love? Can I see myself mm. doing that for another five to ten years? And then yeah. not being afraid to go with the flow of opportunity. That is literally the quote yeah. and life advice I follow for myself. Go with the flow of opportunity, which is how I ended up moving from a school to a nonprofit Because I saw myself of, oh, oh I would be working in a school, move up as principal, move up as superintendent. Now I realize there's a whole world out there beyond just education that I never considered before.
0: So let me follow up with this question. What was your dream job in high school?
2: My dream job was to be a doctor.
0: Mm. Everyone
2: knew me as the science nerd. I was the one killing it in chemistry i was even called alberta einstein like that's how much i was into the sciences i thought i was going to be a pediatric doctor working with kids in college i was like oh i'm going to be an endocrinologist pediatrician so i it was like i love chemistry i like medicine makes sense you're going to help people
0: (laughs) yeah and and the so, Haitian
2: thing of like yes. doctor is one of the things that you know <laughs> you do right.
0: Yeah, we definitely like to to push our kids or our people to go to those um, traditional career, which is they they are great, and I applaud everybody who can make it. Um, at the end of the day, be flexible, and you just said something: go with the flow, right? Go with the flow of opportunity. Of opportunity. So let's get to hot topics now. Hot topics. All right, Princess. So I'm going to give you time. Take your time. And I know you're an educator, you educator, you're a writer. You, you're not you're not going to be shying forward. So what it, all important is it for you as a black woman to succeed?
2: Can you re, you said can you repeat the question? All important is it for oh, how you how important? OK,
0: all important is it for you as a black woman to succeed?
2: Oh, extremely important. I think sometimes it's so important that I put too much pressure on myself because when I think of success for a Black woman, I think we're also in a place where we still don't see much of ourselves. So I feel like I'm always trying to be a change maker or a trailblazer or trying to be, you know, the first in a specific space. Um, So for me, success is so important because I also feel like, being an educator, there's so many students who are looking at every move I'm doing and looking at my success as an example.
0: So, and I will I will stress um, it more because now we 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 see uh, a trending. A lot of women are elevated in more opportunities. What would be the message f- for I have a daughter? Maybe in 10 years, she's watching this episode. What would be the message you would be sharing to a black Haitian American um, woman to focus and to be part of who they are and dream big?
2: I think the message would be you come from amazing ancestors. You got so many ancestors from Black ancestors to your Haitian ancestors that's made so many sacrifices in order for you to be as successful as possible. So the success is literally ingrained in your blood. So whatever it is that you want, just know. And people are going to tell you it's not the case because there's going to be haters out there. But you are capable of literally anything and everything you want because you have the foundation in order to make that success possible
0: and I well said I agree so this question will go for you and I know I don't know if you work f- from home remotely if it's hybrid if you go to the office um, there, there used to be that saying leave work at work right so now work is at home how do you balance life now
2: No, I mean, even so when I was working in a school, obviously that was fully in person. The work did not also stay at home either because I think one, if you're super passionate about the work, two it's also one of those things if you want to make it to a certain level yeah just putting in minimum hours is not going to help you get to like that level of success as quickly but now working so i work in a hybrid role so i work remotely four days a week and then i'm in the office um, yeah. one to twice a week depending on if there's an event happening yeah. and so I do find that struggle more in terms of having work um, not bleed into your personal time so what helps me is I have an office at least in my like place so I separate where I do work versus you know where I'm sleeping although sometimes I will do work from the sofa and that's okay because it's just more leisurely and more comfortable but I think what I have what I need to work on more is how to have the cutoff on time so it doesn't feel like you're working 12 hours because you're like okay I'm just gonna go take a break or (laughs) I'm gonna go do a walk or let me do this errand it's very easy to lose track of time when you're working remotely
0: and um, I usually ask this question to to most of our, our guests what was the pandemic for you
2: So the pandemic for me, so one thing is, so in the beginning of the pandemic, it was rough because so at this time, um, my husband and I were engaged, but we weren't necessarily living together. And he had caught um, COVID early on, actually. So w- I was making the sacrifice in terms of trying to protect my mom, who's immunocompromised, and also his parents. That so we did not see each other for three months. Like it was just virtual interactions um, because of just concern of safety. Um, yeah. I think pandemic wise i wasn't the person who felt like oh my god i just miss seeing so many people in person i actually (laughs) enjoyed the pandemic because it made me realize how much more of an introvert than i come across because i restore energy by being to myself you know by you know watching tv and so mm. it it allowed me to not have to feel guilty for not seeing people because we just couldn't see people and it allowed me to be able to care for myself and have a better routine so in many ways i actually enjoyed the work-life balance i had during the pandemic because my school also went remote for a year okay. and a half
0: okay all right, that, that's going to help it too. Um, that was Hot Topic with uh, Princess. Uh, I think that was great. So let's go to your book. I know you want to promote your book. Let's talk about it.
2: Yes. Yeah, so I literally released a book a month ago from yesterday. Um, it is called Support Black, period. So, emphasis on that, a green book to eliminate your ifs, ands, or buts. And so, this is not your modern day green book. So, for those who don't know, the regular green book that came out, you know, decades ago was meant to be a listing of places that are safe for Black people to go from hotels to restaurants to businesses. This modern-day Green Book is a list of Black-owned businesses from Black coffee shops to Black tea houses to Black wine, Black ice cream, Black festivals, Black museums. So anything, I feel like you're interested, you're going to find something in this. But it's not just a resource. It also is a framework that helps shift people's mindsets. So there's five steps in terms of how you can support the Black community. And I also embed a lot of personal stories I also embed a lot of history that's not taught in your textbooks into this book so it's not just the list of businesses it's actually a really interesting read
0: um, how long did it take you um, to, to publish it? <laughs>
2: so it took about two years from the time that i had the inception of the idea but i would say remember we talked about like the last six months being the buckling down the last six months is where i would say the majority of the book was completed in terms of the written manuscript and then during that time working with a black woman to help get it published in terms of the cover and distribution to Amazon and other places.
0: Wow. Um, let's talk about travel. And I know you... So, usually, um, I will still ask you this question. What are, what are the two books you will comment? We will comment our audience. I will add place to travel. Yes. And, and that, too. So books or please to travel you will come into our audience
2: so I being a big traveler so I've been to 30 countries 35 states I have a lot of places I can put there so I'm going to give both domestic and international recommendations so yeah. in terms of three international destinations I put Haiti on there and I know I'm being biased but why I put that on the top of the list is because um, you know what the media shows you is not what it looks like when you get there yeah. Haiti has some of the most beautiful beaches that are untouched that people do not realize but then haiti also has rich history so going to see the citadel and you know learning that history i think is also very important for anyone to even understand latin american history can't understand um i would also say so if i think of a european place that i really loved and would recommend um it would be Oslo Norway. So okay. they they are so efficient in terms of how they operate and their public transportation and on also Iceland too. Like they also, you know, they have that socialism idea of that, you know, the government pays for your colleges, but it's also super clean, people are super nice. And in Norway specifically, it's a lot more diverse than you would
3: assume. So mm.
2: they, yeah, so that's why I tell wow. people this because i thought it was just gonna be you know just a bunch of scandinavians norwegians what i realized i was seeing people in hijabs i was seeing interracial couples and so i learned after 30 percent of their population are now immigrants so i was seeing murals of a black man and an astronaut Mm. that's the last thing i would have thought you know going to norway um And then I would say the third international is um, Senegal. I think it's just important to get to the motherland. (laughs) But Senegal, I have put on there because Senegal is one of the more developed African countries. So if you're a person where you're like, okay, maybe I'm like afraid to get to the continent, Senegal is a good entry point where there's a lot of history, a lot of rich food. There's beaches too. People don't think of beaches with Senegal. And um, like I said, they have a really good influence infrastructure over there
0: um, coming from New York I know the transportation is I don't know how to put it but traveling probably to you say 30 countries which which country has the best infrastructure in terms of transportation you know
2: Norway that's why I'm recommending like when I say infrastructure so you know they have subways buses trolleys they run exactly to time so if they tell you that the bus is arriving 250 on Google Maps if you are not there at 250 you will be left this is not where New York where that bus is probably going to come you know 10 to 15 (laughs) minutes later they also have frequent transportation so it's not being in a place where okay maybe you have to wait an hour for a train I felt like trains were coming every two to three minutes Mm -hmm. and it was very easy to navigate like it's very easy to figure out how to get from one place to another on public transportation because a lot of times I would opt into Ubers or having a driver depending on the international place because they don't have good public transportation Mm. Also, Norway was top notch for infrastructure. How long is the flight? I think it was about seven to eight hours direct from JFK.
0: Okay, all right, makes sense. Is there a question you wish I asked you today?
2: No, I think I will say you asked very unique questions that people typically have not asked me because you know. I always expect the questions of, you know, what is your, you know, where are you from? What is your journey? You know, how did you get here? But you asked very unique questions. So I don't, I don't think so. I think you asked very well-rounded questions.
0: Appreciate it. So this will be my last question. What is the future holds for you princess?
2: That's a great question. I think, When I think of what the future holds for me, I hope to continue to have an impact both in the education space and then also in the travel space as well. So I'm just going to speak to existence in terms of, you know, this book being, you know, a bestseller at some point. And it also shifts people mindsets in terms of how they support the Black community. And then when I think of my impact in the education space, I think who knows, like one day you might find me as CEO of a nonprofit or I open my own um, company as well
0: and i wish you the best and you put it in the uh, in the in the in the universe oh and, and
2: completing my doctorate so in a few years it will be doctor yes. princess oh, oh
0: wow <laughs> and i wish you i wish you success and definitely great um great journey so one thing i take away from this um episode our conversation is that you value education and you, you're proud of who you are, and you're promoting success not for you, but for everybody around you. That's um, that's like um, I call I make it. That's a calling. I think you embrace your calling. So some people still figure it out, but uh, I think you get to it, and you're gonna strive because um the the mission is to help others.
2: Thank you so much. I I appreciate that. And I would agree. I think I definitely found my calling and there's an alignment. And so I just want to thank you in terms of you found your calling in terms of elevating other people's voices and their journeys.
0: Um, Last word for you. I'm sorry last Last word word?
2: oh yeah so I think like I said um you know thank you so much for having me on this podcast I hope you know my story you know inspires you for you to see that anything is possible and also realize that life is not linear so I'm just gonna end with as I started in the middle of the convo just be open to follow the flow of opportunity
0: um before I let you go because we have a few minutes any best movies?
2: Oh, I mean, I think in turn I mean I love Black Panther, so oh, yeah. uh that's <laughs> that's that, uh that's a given. And I'm also um my two other favorite movies are like the Harry Potter series. Yes. I have watched every single movie and I like did a whole marathon of the whole really? thing last year. Wow. Yes, like I actually did. Rewatched every movie and I also love the movie with Meryl Streep I think it's The Devil Wears Prada
0: yeah I think it's a nice movie too (laughs) Um, thank you princess we appreciate the time and I think we had a great time with you and we enjoyed this conversation and we'll we'll keep in touch Um, good luck on your on your success and everything your family and your book so we we hope to see it as a bestseller soon.
2: Yes, thank you so much.
0: All right, this is Eddie Dasius with Divine Puppet Podcast. We had um, Princess Francois with us. She laid it out everything in terms of um, her journey, her passion, and things she she uh and she's passionate about, and things she wants to do. Um, please check us online www.dppodcast.com you can listen to this episode on all major platforms or audio it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Podbean and definitely on YouTube this is Eddie Dasis with Princess Francois thank you, appreciate it